Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while physically distancing, which means we are not in the studio together and we are using Zoom as our audio. So our our quality might be a little bit different than what you're used to, uh, but we were all just doing the best we can with what we have. And I'm so excited about our guests that we have here with us today. Uh, Lazarus Letcher, they them pronouns, is an academic and artist living and working on Tiwa Pueblo land, aka Albuquerque, New Mexico. Laz's work focuses on Black and Indigenous liberation, white supremacy and addiction and recovery, and BIPOC transgender history. Laz, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so happy that we were able to find a time to connect. Yes, me too. How's, how's it, and this is like a weird question, but how's it going? How are you? <laughs> oh, you know, um, I wore pants with buttons over the weekend, so that was the first time in a long time um I'm okay I got a puppy recently that has helped immensely just like having something positive to focus on that is very cute and loving and pooping all the time all the time all the time that's what's your puppy's name her name's Billie Holiday oh that's very cute yeah she was she's named by her foster mama on the Santa Domingo Pueblo and can't change a name like that not during black history month that's a sin yeah totally very very cute so we all have uh multiple coming out stories or coming into ourselves stories um and so i would love to hear one of yours oh yeah i have so many um yeah i've been like most of the letters of the lgbtq acronym so shout out to my parents for weathering many we need to talk moments um <laughs> Yeah, the first time I came out was to my best friend, Tom. Shout out to Tom. Love you dearly. Um, On a playground in the middle of a cornfield in Indiana. Um, And I was like, yeah, I think I might be gay. And he was the only other queer I knew. He was like, yeah, I think you might be gay. And we (laughs) were leaving the playground. And there was just just this giant stag standing in a cornfield staring at us. And I was like, well, that seems like a sign. And I'm also terrified. Let's back away slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was the first coming out and I was 14, 15, but I'd known for ages. Like I love going through the file cabinet of memories and you're like, oh, yep, that was gender dysphoria. Oh, yep, that was a queer baby moment. Um, yeah. But yeah, it didn't come out till tr- as trans until 20, what year is it? Um, what is time? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I came out when I was 20, Two twenty three. Um, I'm kind of that like last generation of trans people that didn't grow up with the language. Um, I just had like terrible daytime TV talk show, like awful trans representation, and then the L word in high school, which like scarred me for a decade. It's like, well, okay, I feel like I'm not a girl and I'm not a boy, and that testosterone thing sounds really neat, but apparently it turns you into a monster, and then all your queer mm-hmm. friends leave you. So let me just shove shove that aside for another decade um yeah but yeah and I will say I don't share this story often enough the first time I came out was as a lesbian and like I came out to my parents to win a fight which is like very on brand for my family like well then listen to this um (laughs) and my dad who went to law school and is a very logic driven person was like that's irrelevant to this argument and kept going (laughs) and my my mom yelled from the other room like Kevin hug them um yeah yeah yeah. okay okay cool we knew it's fine um and then my mom made lasagna that night and like put it on the table she's like lasagna get it lasagna oh my gosh Carol (laughs) how long have you been sitting on that joke (laughs) yeah 
I, I know I've, I think we need more positive coming out stories out there. Cause I know I was really scared to not come out. Cause all I'd heard was absolute horror stories, but I've been very fortunate to have mostly positive coming out moments. Yeah, that does. It seems like it. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'm obsessed with lasagna. That is amazing. (laughs) I love my mother. It's just to have that pun in your back pocket for years and just like waiting for the moment where you actually get to make that gosh darn lasagna. Bless her heart. Um, two, it couldn't have been last Thanksgiving. So two Thanksgivings ago, I was visiting my, I was in Texas with my parents and, um, my mom was like, look at the table. And I look, I'm like looking at the, she had set the table and I like, you know, wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention or I was like, I don't get it. And she's like, look at the plates. And she hadn't put the plate. Should they have like multicolored plates and she put it in a rainbow order. Oh. And I was like, that's really sweet. I love that. And I'm sorry. I didn't notice. <laughs> You gay tables. Gay- love to see you. Yeah. Gables. <laughs> <laughs> and green gables. It's all coming together. Yeah. Um, so you 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 brought up a few things that I want to kind of like pull apart with you, if you don't mind. Um, because like when I think about um certain like moments in my life, I also like classify them in like my mental file cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um and so I'm curious if you can recall and, and are comfortable sharing some of those file cap files of, oh, that was gender dysphoria or, oh, like mm-hmm. I was so gay or like just some of those moments. Cause I definitely have those too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So my father is very, very cute. I have an amazing family and every Friday he'll do flashback Friday and just like send us pictures from photo albums. And every single time I'm like, I was such a gay, gay, gay child. Um, <laughs> I think the one that sticks out a lot was I was like three or four and I was obsessed with changing clothes with my neighbor, like this cute little neighborhood boy, Nathaniel. And I was just like, I just love your style. Like let's switch outfits. Um, And every time he came over to play, like we would leave wearing each other's clothes and our parents were like kind of exhausted by it. (laughs) And then shortly thereafter, they just, I just was able to wear boys clothes for most of my childhood, which is like, amazing and a big part of that was you know my parents being like well you are already the only black kid so like (laughs) chances of you fitting in are like pretty slim already so we might as well let you be comfortable in nothing but athleisure wear um essentially (laughs) a lot of sweatsuits um I looked like a retiree as a toddler and I'm like coming back into that look in quarantine and I feel fully myself um (laughs) so those were big ones and then my my mom is a music teacher. I come from a long line of music teachers and she ran a voice studio out of our house, um, which meant there was just like a parade of gay high schoolers coming through my house. And I was just like so fascinated by these sparkly boys um, and like would always try to play with them. And they had like no interest in playing with this like, you know, seven-year-old kid, bless their hearts. Um, and I was like, there's just something different about these boys and they're so much better than all of the other boys. And I don't know what it is. And like, going through the file cabinet I was like oh they were flaming they were flaming homosexuals (laughs) (laughs) so those are some ones that stick out just you know show tunes and bronzer Mm -hmm. there was um I'm trying to think of some for me and I know like one was um sitting in a chair like with like backwards like straddling it like Mm -hmm. AC Slater style Uh, and um just like feeling like and I was doing this with my almost like counterparts with like my preschool friends (laughs) who were boys (laughs) my my colleagues um and I remember my preschool teacher saying to me little girls don't sit that way Mm -hmm. and just being like so confused as to a why she was calling me that and two why it mattered and why could why could my friends sit this way but I couldn't and it was like a very it was one of my first memories of that like shame wash that like yeah. comes over and I was like, well, I need to put this in my file cabinet and not do this again. Cause I don't want to get embarrassed. Yeah. It's wild how much kids are policed around gender stuff. Like another one that comes to mind for me too, was um, I was like getting my hair braided and my mom was learning how to braid hair. So my mom's white and she was like 
she wanted to learn how to do black kids hair and this was like before the internet and like black kids with white parents don't know how good they got it these days when it comes to the hair department but like it was a hot mess in the letter hot household for a long time um so it was also one of the first times I was like in a majority black environment like that was very exciting to me and there was this cute boy who was about the same age as me and he was like spinning in a circle and like lifted his shirt up over his head and was spinning in the circle and everyone was laughing and I was like well I'm also cute and I also deserve to be the center of attention so I started spinning in a circle and put my shirt over my head and people started like gasping and like avoiding their eyes and I was like you know I was like five or six like Mm. we did not look different at all with shirts over our heads but I was so confused why it was so wrong for me and like my mom was so embarrassed and we just like never talked about it again we never went back um and like that just stuck with me well I was gonna say for a long time and like yeah it's you know 25 years later and I'm still (laughs) talking about it yeah that's those those really early moments are they're so formative and I I think I wish that I don't think I do know that I wish that adults realized the impact of their words and even their like reactions and their faces like mm-hmm. just I internalized that shit so deeply and it's like that really had an effect on me yeah gosh I was hanging out with a five-year-old a couple of days ago that's in my germ pool um and he was like asking for people's pronouns at the table and I was just like flabbergasted and I'm like oh it's that easy he's like I'm a he but there's like a few moments during the day where I kind of like being called a she but I'll let you know if I have one of those she times today and I'm like thank you for letting me know. Um, And it's like being able to have that language at that age. I was like, oh, the kids are all right. That's amazing. I love that so much. Um, so let's, let's, um, I'm actually going to save, I was going to say, let's talk L word, but I want to get, I want to leave. I want to, I want to save that to then have a bigger conversation about (sighs) media representation. Um, but uh what was the other thing I was gonna ask you? Um had there been like have were, was there ever um I know how you said like you wish that there were more positive coming out stories mm-hmm. because you were you know it's scary to come out because we don't know what the other person is gonna say. Yeah. Had there been moments for you where you thought that like sp- like you know, like kind of like what we were talking about too, like like kind of like being on the lookout for signs from like family members or friends like this is okay to say this to this person like you told tom because you i think you said tom was queer so that's like safe in a way but what about with your family yeah so my family's like very liberal pretty radical um and i remember like my dad and he's apologized for this and like doesn't remember it but of course it's one of those things like cemented and I was talking about, you know, my friend who had come out and we were like in junior high, like, oh, that's, that's way too young to know. And I was like very solidly to myself out as queer. And I was like, oh, well, I guess then I don't know any better. So that, that definitely quelled me saying anything. Um, and it's funny, like my mom had a very intentional conversation with my older sister who was like a big jock, like an amazing athlete. Like, it's okay. Like you love who you love. And it's okay, no matter like who that ends up being. But I didn't get that talk. Mm. Um, (laughs) And it wasn't until we were adults and compared notes. I'm like, that's so weird that they pegged you as the gay one. Um, But yeah, I knew a single out adult growing up. And that was my high school German teacher, Herr Stute, um, who I love and adore. And my mom teaches at my old high school. So I'm still like, in on all of the gossip of like small Indiana high school you know that sweet goodness um and like had to see how much he had to fight all of the time but he was very like no bullshit like is the leader of the union like is this total badass and like he always would be like how are you doing like I think just kind of like trying to cattle prod me out of the closet like you are obviously a homosexual I know it's like (laughs) to be a homosexual in Indiana like do you want to talk but like never using those words but he was definitely a lighthouse in a lonely ocean and I don't I should write that man a letter but I don't think I've ever expressed that to him yeah I think that he I mean I don't obviously don't know him but I think that would be so nice to let him know um I had an adult like that 
my I was in youth group in high school, like uh, mm-hmm. religious youth group. And um, my advisor um, wasn't out, but I like got a vibe. And so we, we also like never said anything explicit, but we like gravitated towards each other. And, um, at one point she said to me, like, (laughs) she, she was like, I have friends that you can talk to. And I was like, okay. And so, and so she, she is married to a woman now. And I actually, I'm not sure what your words she uses to describe her identity. Um, and I don't want to put them on her, but um, it was just, it was interesting how she was just there for me in a way that I needed her to be without that, like pushing of like, of the talking, you know what I mean? It was just yeah. nice to like have someone who like totally. got it. I was also deep in youth group culture, which also did not help me come out at all. Yeah. That was like part of my teenage rebellion was going to a really conservative church. And my parents were like, we love and support you, but this was not the direction we saw things going. (laughs) Um, And that just, and I really, I was really involved in young life and I Mm. wanted to work for young life when I grew up. That was like my dream. And like, and they still have it. It's like very much like a don't ask, don't tell policy. Like you can be a queer youth in young life, but you can't be like queer or trans in any sort of like leadership position. Mm. Um, and I knew that. And I remember I was at a youth symphony rehearsal because I'm a nerd and like texting my girlfriend at the time, like we were, you know, very hidden Romeo and Juliet dyke romance. Um, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like my calling is to you know, serve the Lord through young life. And I can't be with you and do that while like Brahms's symphony is playing around me. Like it was a very heightened teenage drama moment, but like Mm. that just really breaks my heart that like, yeah, I broke up to be a part of an organization that doesn't want me. Yeah. I, that is, that's hard to swallow. And also I feel like that's, I feel like that is a narrative that I hear of like people it's almost like double like doubling down on I don't know how to describe it but do you know what I mean like doubling down on like if they but if they could only just get to know me and not to put words in your mouth but like I would imagine like then they would see that I'm just like them but queer or whatever it might be yeah I mean and I was also like the only black kid in that youth group so I was always like trying to prove myself in that regard and like yeah. I remember we were getting on a bus to go to Jesus camp and one of the youth leaders being like oh you know you have to go to the back of the bus don't you and just being like gobsmacked and like everyone laughing and thinking it was the funniest joke and like I did like I went and sat in the back of the bus I'm yeah. so sorry that happened to you that's ridiculous and horrible yeah midwest racism doesn't get talked about a lot but like I grew up in a town in Northwest Indiana and like the Klan marched in my town when I was a kid. And then where my family lives now, like there are still towns that like we know are pretty much sundown towns. Like we know where and how to move through the world. So it was really weird this summer to see like so many people be like, my God, did you know racism still exists? And I'm like, I have been talking about this since I was three. Like I am quite aware that racism still here thank you for letting me know that you weren't listening to me this whole time is what yeah. i'm getting yeah yeah but i do appreciate the random venmos from people that are just like sorry i've gotten a few from people in my youth group actually just like sorry and then cash and i'm like all right okay. <laughs> wow yeah yeah i'm from ohio um so i oh, know yeah. that midwest pretty well yeah it's- um it's it's its own it's so different compared like I live in New York City and it's just a different completely different world being in the Midwest yeah Albuquerque is like the big city to me which like cracks a lot of people up from like New York or my sister lives in Chicago and I'm like Mm. welcome to the big city she's like Laz there's a single skyscraper here I'm like but it's one it's pretty impressive huh um yeah 
just like that geographic fleeing that I think a lot of queer kids end up doing. Like all of the out queer kids from my high school left immediately. And like we lived in a college town. I think like 90% of my graduating class just like hopped on over across the street to Purdue. And then all of the gays were like, goodbye, I'm going to art school across the country. Yeah. I I wonder for myself, like I I went to Ohio State. So I went to school like 10 minutes from where I grew up. And I don't know, you know, I think there's a part of me that wonders why I didn't go further away to explore. Uh, I think part of it is I was scared to do that, like scared to explore it and let myself in on what I already knew was true. (laughs) And um, two, I think I was suffering so deeply from like anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. as, as it related to my gender that I didn't, I didn't know. I I really actually thought it was related to my sexual orientation. Yeah. Um, And now that I'm like very much in touch with those pieces of me, I'm like, oh, this was all of that. All of that was because of my gender identity. (laughs) None of it had to do with, with my sexuality, but um, what was I going to say? So I guess because of all of that, like anxiety and depression, that for me really stopped me from like thinking about a future and thinking about like what my life could be. And, and honestly, like caring about anything. I was like, why do I even care to like go away to college and spend the money? And like, who cares? Like, I'll just go here and whatever. And I think that was part of it too. That makes total sense. And just like what you were saying resonated so much. And like, you know, going through that file cabinet again, it's almost like in Scooby-Doo when they unmask the villain and I was like, it was gender all along. Like, <laughs> totally. So much of like the hard moments of my life was like, oh, this is what I was really wrestling with. Yeah, I just, I don't know if I would have left Indiana if I hadn't like gotten a ticket out with a viola scholarship. Mm. Like shout out to playing weird niche instruments like that's the way to get out of your small town if you're a tiny gay in a midwest town like pick up a tuba or a viola maybe a piccolo um yeah Yeah. get your ass out of there for real um okay so let's talk l word um so i know what you're referencing but for our younger listeners or for our listeners who maybe don't know what you're talking about um, can you, can you kind of say a little bit more about why specifically it scarred you and testo- testosterone turning you into a monster? Yeah, it is. I have somehow managed to bring up the L word, I think on every <laughs> podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer Beals, if you're listening to this, please cast me as like your long lost child in the new season. Um, any who's old. So the L word was a showtime show in the early two thousands. It picked up right where sex in the city left off. And in the third season, I want to say, they added, like, the first Butch character. Um, And that character transitioned to being a trans man while on the show. And it was a gosh darn dumpster fire. Am I allowed to swear on this show? Please, yes. It was a goddamn (laughs) dumpster fire. It was a fucking nightmare. Um, So the way he was portrayed was just, like, super slovenly, like... um, totally socially inept like when he started testosterone like it was like flipping a switch and he became just like the super machismo angry man like trashing houses and stuff um and it was just like terrifying like I was so excited to see a trans dude on tv and I was like oh why do I get like sweaty when this person's on the screen and I get so excited and like just the way he was treated like absolute shit by everyone on the show and by extension like the showrunner and the writers was mortifying so the message was really clear to me like if I decided to be open with myself and with my community about my trans identity that meant I was no longer part of the queer community especially the lesbian community and I was like cool let me just uh, box that up for many many years and not unpack it and just and then like in the last season because it was all over the tabloids like they had Max get pregnant as well and like get abandoned by his partner because for me it was really pivotal also to see a gay trans dude on tv which is like pretty much who I am now just like a little twinkie fairy out here in the desert um and I'd never seen that on tv before I'm guessing that's probably the first representation outside of Thomas I don't want to say his last name Beatty who was on Oprah he was like the pregnant man on all the tabloids in the mm. mid-2000s um 
that was my first exposure to trans masculinity and just like the way both of those people were treated both fictional and non-fictional like Thomas Beatty after the media blitz that surrounded him did try to end his life um and just seeing not seeing trans masculinity my entire life because there's so little of the media representation and then the first examples I see are you'll get abandoned and you'll want to kill yourself I was like well it's already hard enough to be a black dyke in the midwest like I really do not need one more thing yep that is very real. I had such similar feelings when it came to Max's character. And um, also to add, yeah, I just, I, I have this like vivid like image of one of the scenes of him like flipping a table. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. And, but like being so intrigued by trans masculinity mm-hmm. and like was so um, I also, um, similarly in Boys Don't Cry. Golly, yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was like the early, when was that? That was like 2000 and like six or something or five or. I think even earlier than that, maybe. It, it might have. I think it was before oh, Max. You're right. It was because I was, it was, I was in high school. So it was like 2001 or something. Thank you. Um. And like, so like trigger warning, content warning, like sexual assault and rape and murder. And I was like, you know, in the beginning of it, you know, it's like it, the film is dark, like the, the picture quality is dark. So it's like mm-hmm. already it's like glue, like they're setting the mood yeah. uh, and just, you know, being so intrigued and so seeing myself so much already, already struggling with like is this something who I am and like not, not wanting, not allowing myself to think about it. And then seeing boys don't cry. And like on the one hand, like watching Brandon's character, like um, bind his chest and pack and um, but also like being read as who he is. And like, it's just like, so um, I feel like I would just pause for a really long time, but like, you know, just, And then how it ends was like, I, this is, I can't, I can't do that. This is, I can't do that. And it was really, really devastating to, to witness. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. I didn't see that until later in my life. Like, so Max was my first exposure, but I remember having that same, just absolute fear. And one of the things I want to bring up, um, because Boys Don't Cry was based on a Village Voice article right that kind of like broke the story written by a white cis lesbian who really sensationalized it called Brandon Tina a lesbian and was like kind of fighting with the trans community for trying to claim Brandon Mm. she actually issued a retraction yeah last year or the year before and she's like how I botched and bungled the Brandon Tina story and like I appreciate when people do that but like one of the things that she acknowledged was that Philip Devine was completely erased from the narrative and Philip Devine was a black man who was killed alongside Brandon Tina. And it kind of set up the stage of like trans violence is this isolated thing outside of and beyond race. This is Mm. kind of what my master's thesis was on. So I spent a lot of time just like staring at trans death. Um, Mm. And just like, it's not a mistake that the, you know, both of the murderers were members of white supremacist organizations. Like the fact that that gets erased from transphobia, from what happened to Brandon, is Brandon is suspicious, um, and I've seen, I've seen some co- scholars too mention that Brandon had like indigenous ancestry, mm. which gets stripped away a lot. Um, but yeah, that, that whole story messed me up a lot. So like, not a lot of positive trans examples. I think the first like positive trans representation, trans masculine representation, I saw like after I transitioned (laughs) and Mm. I was like oh well this is nice now the kids have this but yeah I'm trying to think too my first like positive and I I think I want to say was in transparent maybe oh yeah that actually might be it for me too um yeah and there's still there is way more than there was but there's I Mm -hmm. still I I can't think of many examples no there's that and then the character on shameless 
Oh yeah. Oh wait, hold on. Which season? Um, it's a later season. Okay, I stopped watching in, after a while. Yeah, he works in the LGBT org. He's a oh guy. yes, He's a yes, guy. yes, yes. Yeah, but that's I mean that's like end of list. And I I had a moment a couple weeks ago. I was, it was great. I haven't had a moment like this since like childhood, where like you get a book and you're like, I can't sleep. I have to finish this like mm. under the covers with a flashlight, even though I live alone, just to like, <laughs> you know add to the ambiance. Yeah, but it was. Um, the vanishing half and it's the first book i've ever read with a trans masculine person of color character i'm reading it right now no spoilers but um no way. i just finished part two so like i was just introduced to reese and was like yes. i'm in a book club and we had just finished part one and i started bringing up gender and like and i was mm-hmm. like you know and then and then the second i opened part two i'm like yes yeah i Oh man, dubs. I like, I was weeping and just like, it was, it was even for seeing myself in a book for the first time ever. And like, you see this cluttered library. This is like one tenth of the books I own. Like I am a bookworm through and through. And just to have like read so many books my entire life and to be 28 and to see a character like myself for the first time, just like that sucks. Like that's hard, but like to have it be handled with such beauty and care and like one of my frustrations in the trans community is we use the language of passing a lot without Mm -hmm. acknowledging its roots in the black community and what passing means in that context and all of the layers of that it's like have a trans story woven into a story about passing and like handled so flawlessly I was just like oh yeah I won't ruin anything but I will say Mm -hmm. HBO is making either a series or a movie of the book. And like, I don't know if anyone out there is listening. I'm throwing my hat in the ring for Reese. I will do pull-ups. I will match that description, but like, oh my goodness. Wow. Um, I'm excited that they're turning it into a a watchable media. I love that so much. So yeah, the book is so incredible and I have to like, I don't have to, I could read ahead, but I'm like reading it in a book club and I don't want to like get ahead of myself. So I have to pace myself and it's so hard because I really felt the same way you did. I was like, I cannot put this down. Yeah. That's what happened. Like I read the first part and I was like, okay. I'm like, was getting ready for bed and started part two. And then there's a trans character. And I was like, well, now I just have to finish this. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was such a pleasant, pleasant, pleasant way to start part two. Yeah. It was so good. And it's just, Yeah, I love seeing a transition handled with, like, grace and care and, like, a Black transition story to include community. Like, wow, this is amazing. And I also just read, so I'm studying for my comprehensive exams for my PhD, which is just, like, sit in a dark room and read like you're a monk in the 14th century. Uh, But we both laughed in pleasure. It's the Mm -hmm. published diaries of Lou Sullivan, who was an early trans dude activist he like started a newsletter for trans dudes all over the world and like was a big advocate especially for gay trans dudes because he was denied hrt and surgeries for ages because they're like you can't be a trans man and be gay that's not how this works um but was just such an absolute trailblazer that i wish more people knew and to like be able to read his own words like it was another one of those 3 a.m crying in my bed moments Wow. What it what's a lot the, of those these days? <laughs> <laughs> um you say we, we both laughed in pleasure. Is that yeah by what's the author's name? Who's the who are you talking about? Lou Sullivan is the activist. Um thank you. But yeah, and it starts when he's like 10. He kept journals from like his diary when he was 10 to when he died from AIDS complications. Um and it's just like incredible and so sweet to like see a baby trans who absolutely did not have the language and um He grew up in the Midwest too. Just like there's so much resonance. Wow. I'm going to get that when we, when we end this conversation, I'm going to buy that. (laughs) That sounds incredible. Um, It's wild. Just though thinking about, and as we were talking, I thought of, did you ever watch the show, the Fosters on ABC family for a hot second? And I think the trans dude on that show is the same trans dude on shameless. His name's Elliot. It is the same person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think the Fosters is a show that handles a lot of like issues 
really well. And that was one of them. And I was like, I love seeing this so much. Mm. Cause it's, cause you're, cause as we were saying, it's just so rare to see, to see trans stories a at all and be in a positive way. Yeah. Gosh, just, that's why I'm so grateful for disclosure. Um, yes. Yes. I work at an LGBT center and we did just like a watch party event for it over the summer and I'd avoided watching it. I was like, I just, I really like trans content. is just like so hit or miss for me. And like being someone that does trans studies as my field, like I know I'll have to eventually watch it. And I heard Laverne Cox talking to Brene Brown. And I was like, first of all, can you all have a weekly podcast where you talk to each other? You're mm-hmm. two of my favorite humans, mm-hmm. but I had no idea how involved, like it was an all trans team that made it. And I'm like, oh, well now I'm going to watch it. But just combing through the history of trans representation and how, again, it's rooted in like anti-blackness. Like, I had no idea that um, the guy that created, oh, what is the name of that super racist film? It's the first movie shown in the White House. Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The fact that, like, the first trans representation is by the guy that did Birth of a Nation is just so telling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I think, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I just, I do want to, like, add some hope to it. Like, I think films like Disclosure that just, like, really broke it down clearly to folks, like, how bad trans representation is and how much that directly impacts the trans community and adds to things like the trans panic defenses that exist in most states in this country, in most cities, in most municipalities. But, Mm -hmm. um, like, I do see some hope with some more positive trans representation, like, Pose, I think I've cried in every single episode of Pose that I've ever watched. Like, I did not get queer or trans history in school, and, like, to see it on the screen makes my heart so happy. Um, and then, you know, the L word, I feel like, is kind of doing a redemption tour with their reboot. Like, the very first scene, there's, like, a trans dude of color that's a college professor. I'm like, okay, I, I see you. I see what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. What's um I what's the character's name who's like the the young Shane in quotes? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm like are you going to be non-binary at some point? Right. Um, which okay. I shouldn't that's me projecting and <laughs> wanting like to add more people to the team. I'm sure you understand how it goes. Like I feel like I kind of collect. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen it in so long. I know same new L word cast i really want to remember their name um shoot oh well in real life it's jacqueline taboni but what is it in the move in the show anyways i i realized um oh finley 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 um i had such a like adverse 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 reaction to finley like i just really despised that character and I realized that it's because I saw so much of myself in Finley with like the drinking and the like the fucking up and like and I was like oh this makes sense why I like really don't like you because it's me (laughs) on the screen that is such a mood like there's an old recovery saying like if you spot it you got it it's like Mm. if there's like a behavior or something someone says that like really rubs you wrong it's like ah snap that me But yeah, that was something I found really interesting in the new L word as well was the way they handled addiction. Because the L word was actually the first time I'd seen like the 12 step program. Mm. And I think it's the very first episode Kit like tries to make amends with Beth, which is just so interesting. And then like, not a giant spoiler, but like in the new L word, like she's dead from an overdose. Yeah. Um, and to see, I forget the name, her name, but the trans bartender who's in recovery. I was like, oh, I don't think I've ever seen a trans recovery story on TV. And I was so mad. I was like, please, please don't show her relapsing. Because I've also never seen a recovery on TV that doesn't involve relapse, which is yeah. real. It's a real part of recovery. It's a real part of substance use disorders. And like, I think that needs to be uplifted and high- highlighted. But I've also just never seen someone like stay sober yeah i don't know that i have either i think all i know is like captain cragen from law and order spu Mm, okay (laughs) that's like the only (laughs) character 
who I've seen with like long sobriety on TV. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, TV like wants drama and, and and it's hard. I mean, it's not right, but that, you know, it it is what it's its own beast, I guess is like wanting that. Um, one more thing about L word and then we can talk about something else. But I think about the character Ivan a lot. Do you remember Ivan? Has, Ivan led 12 step groups. That's how. Oh, that's, that's how right. That kid. Yeah. Which, like, I had totally forgotten. I've been listening to the podcast to Ellen back and it's so nice to like revisit the episodes of the 2020 lens of just like, oh dear God. Mm. Yeah. No, sorry. Go on about Ivan. I know though. I'm glad that you brought that up because I forgot about that piece. Like I read Ivan as a trans man. Mm-hmm. and I feel like I remembered like being so intrigued by Ivan and at first like didn't understand why Ivan was so upset when Kit like walked in on him um I guess like mm-hmm. forget exactly what it was yeah was it was like, like I think he was binding his chest and Kit walked in yeah um but I'm curious your take your take on Ivan yeah oh golly that's I had such a similar reaction of just being like so drawn to Ivan and like this mask character with super long hair and this like kind of like stereotypical 1950s masculinity. Like he's always working on his vintage cars and like he dragged King Sings to Elvis and stuff, but was so soft and gentle. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was like maybe one of the most positive like representations of masculinity I've seen. I'm like, why couldn't you have done this with Max? Like, and once Max like, went to therapy and got in touch with his feelings and unpacked his trauma. He was like the most caring member of the gang. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that story was botched and bungled. And I believe it was a cis woman actress that played him as well, which like classic, of course, at least Danielle C is like, I believe, I know they use they, them pronouns. I don't know how they identify. Um, But I know like on the set, they were also like completely just kind of shoved aside. Like, it's amazing how many episodes of The L Word you can go through and you're like, wait, was Max in this at all? Or we'll just, like, show up and was like, I was in San Francisco, guys. And it's like, for what? When did that happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounded like him. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I've watched the show many times. Yeah. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you used music as a way to escape and to Mm -hmm. so what does what does music mean to you and and yeah what does music mean to you I don't think I would have weathered first puberty if I wasn't a musician um I come from a long string of musicians like I mentioned I'm an eighth generation musician on my mom's side which is just like literally every ancestor we know (laughs) was a musician um and like I come from a family, we don't talk about feelings a lot. So music was a great venue and avenue. And like, uh-oh, like mom's playing Beethoven, like who didn't do the dishes? Um, <laughs> and just like a very clear way to express emotions. Cause there was just so much in like junior high and high school that I just could not put words to. And just like first puberty was absolute hell. Like I remember being 10 and saying, I'm going to kill myself when my boobs get further than my nose. I was like, so terrified of that being like Mm. the outmost part of my body that people first react, like interacted with Mm. or interfaced with. And like for a 10 year old to have that thought, like breaks my heart so much. Um, But I was, I've always been a string player and like had a very intuitive, caring um, music teachers growing up, including my mom who are like, maybe you should play this piece now. It's just like this devastating angsty Brahms sonata where I'm like, yes, this <laughs> dead white dude with a giant beard knows exactly what I'm going through. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I went to school for music. I went to my dream college. I got into a symphony. I got to travel the country and the world and like make incredible music. And my, my older dog's name is Mahler. She's gazing at me adoringly, you know, got to play Mahler symphonies with like hundreds of people crammed on a stage and just like music is one of those rare things, especially classical music where you are collaborating with so many people. And the one goal is to create something beautiful Mm. and temporary. Like you put the bow on the string, you draw it across the note goes off. 
um, and just for all of the things I didn't have words for, music always had my back. But um, I had to leave classical music when I came out as trans, because what what does a non-binary person wear in an orchestra? Um, mm. No one could tell me. <laughs> wow. But then I joined a queer indie folk band, which is how things go. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I fiddle for a queer band called Eileen and the In-Betweens. Then I also play as a solo musician and I actually just got signed by a black trans record label of trans trenders. So I'm super stoked about that. And like, I never wrote my own music, but once my voice dropped from T, I suddenly was able to like write my own songs. And I was like, oh my God, I found my own voice. And like, I hate that that's exactly what it is. But, like, <laughs> you know, finding my voice just shifted everything. Oh, that's so beautiful. Everything you just said was so lovely. And it truly like I started tea in July. And so it is like, yes. <laughs> thank you. So like, as my voice is dropping, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like mm-hmm. love hearing myself talk because like it is I finally like hearing myself talk, mm. which is yeah. like such a shift from my whole life. Yeah, I just I feel like my voice sits in my body better, like where it rattles my ribs seems to be its true spot. Mm. I like, love that. When I first started tea, I was doing weekly coffee shop gigs with Eileen. Um, And so I just like was voice cracking into a mic. I just like transitioned in a very public way. And like people that would come weekly would just be like, wow, you have really bad allergies. I'm like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's actually what drove me to like come out to my mom and like admit that I was on hormones because she teaches junior high choir. Mm. It's like homegirl knows how to navigate changing voices and my band was coming out with a music video and I was singing a different part and I knew she would pick up on it immediately. Like, where did my soprano go? Um, Mm -hmm. But she's been great and she was so helpful and helping like weather those changes. That's so nice. I, I love that, especially like in your mom, like that's such a special. Yeah. At least I think (laughs) that's like such a special way to like connect with your mom and like through Mm -hmm. this new, part of you that's more you than has ever been it's yeah. really really sweet it was a really sweet point of connection and has continued to be and she has just like so many trans babies in her choir and orchestra now and like they know that she's she's the one that it's okay to come to um, mm, I like, love that very open like yeah I got a trans kid and like teaches the other teachers how to use they them pronouns um just to do a little callback but Hirsch dude my favorite gay teacher sent me a message ages ago he was like your mom just shot down this terrible lgbt trainer we had who was a straight woman who said like being non-binary and using they them pronouns was like a phase until someone landed on a real gender and my mom apparently just tore her apart and she's like well a gender binary colonization and another thing i'm like oh my god carol <laughs> like go nice on carol <laughs> yeah but the person just like left and i'm like well that's my mama like do not mess with the mama bear yeah, and also don't teach that if you don't know how to properly. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the people who do like diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings who aren't a part of like any minoritized group, I'm like, how? Like it's the scam of a century. And that's a big part of my work is doing like LGBT trainings, especially for like hospitals and stuff. And I'm always mm. blown away with like what people have been told or like how new some information is because I'm lucky enough like I can go days without talking to a cis person um wow it's hashtag blessed let me tell you honey Seriously. Albuquerque, <laughs> Albuquerque is we have a huge trans population for our size it's like one of our best kept secrets we have an amazing trans resource center that's just been throwing down for the community for like a decade but like yeah everyone I work with is trans and like trans people of color. Um, my dogs are probably trans. I don't know, but my partner is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's very special. And never would have thought that of Albuquerque, but that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super fascinating. Um, I think part of it is just like people have a very just like live and let live attitude of just like, if you're not messing with me, like I do not care. Yeah. Uh, and like also want to acknowledge a lot of the tribes in this area, the Pueblos had more than two genders, have had more than two genders for ages. Like there's this incredible figure, 
so I live on Tiwa Pueblo land, which is like the Sandia and Isleto Pueblos. That's where I mostly move and work through. And then Tewa Pueblos is like a kind of constellation of Pueblos north of here, so like the Santa Fe area. And one of those, the Zuni Pueblo, there was a woman named Wewa who's called like Amana in her culture, which is kind of like loosely translates to trans woman, but it's not quite the same. Like it's its own thing, very specific to the Zuni tribe. And she was a ambassador for all of the Pueblos to the United States. Like she went to Washington, D.C. and like mm. had meals with Grover Cleveland and like argued for Pueblo rights. And no one knew in like Washington, like no one, you know, no one was none the wiser. Um and I just love that so much. And I think that's part of it. Like this land has always known more than two genders. And also just want to say to you, like, if you're not native, you are not two spirit. Yes. <laughs> Keep those words say that mouth. again. That is, say that, that again. Indigenous specific term. <laughs> yes. That is like one of my biggest pet peeves. Yes. Um, and I do, I do this talk for the Native Youth Summit. Gosh, it's like every other month now on Zoom, but it's run by the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. And it's all like teenage indigenous badasses and I get to like do these talks and it makes me so excited to like hear what they've learned and what they know and like is one of those things that just completely fills my cup for tomorrow I'm like okay I'm I've been so ready to pass the baton and I'm so ready for y'all to come and take it but I love being able to talk about way well with them that's amazing yeah. she was a badass and I'm like more people need to know about this person and the frustrating thing is white gay anthropologists which I have done a whole talk about <laughs> my beefs with white gay anthropologists, like reclaimed Wewa as like a gay dude icon in the eighties and nineties. And we're like, the native Americans have always seen gays as spiritual. Like here's Wewa as an example. And just like started this kind of mass appropriation in the queer community of indigenous culture. Mm. Uh, so I just want to remind people like stay in your lane. It's yep. great to learn. I encourage folks to figure out whose land they're on. You can go to, www.nativeland.ca and that's a great place to start figure out what tribe what tribes land you're on speak of these tribes and the present tense um so i was straight up taught growing up in indiana they're like native americans don't exist anymore and i'm like interesting i think i've met some Mm -hmm. um but yeah try to push back against the education you were given as a child because chances are you were probably gaslit by white supremacy that checks out yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um two uh something you said really resonated with me and i want to talk about it because i felt the same way um just going back to when you were 10 and saying like if your chest gets like any further than your nose and like mm-hmm. that being your, the outermost part of your body i don't know that i've ever like thought about that before but i also like in those in that way, but that was exactly my thought process with when mm-hmm. I started going through puberty and my first one. And like, I remember I gained a lot of weight. So my stomach would be bigger than my chest, mm-hmm. but then didn't realize that my chest was also getting bigger as I was gaining weight and that backfired. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, that was just so resonant. Yeah. And that's, that's a story I hear a lot. And like, you know, the other way too, like I had a lot of disordered, well, still do like wrestle with disordered eating. And like, that was one of those file cabinet moments of like, oh, I knew that this would make my chest smaller mm. um, or I could wear the clothes from the like little boy section easier if I just didn't eat. Um, yeah, which is super messed up. And just, I, I work at a camp for LGBTQ youth. It's called Chords, Queer Oriented Radical Days of Summer. And it's a art and music camp for kiddos we put them in bands it's just like me sobbing as I play acoustic guitar (laughs) but like these kiddos experiences like one of them was talking about like well it's like you know when you choose to go through through puberty or not and just like kept talking and I just like had to like take a step back I was like that that's what it was for you and like so many of these kiddos having access to hormone blockers who just like trans mask babies that'll never need top surgery Mm -hmm. like or like, you know, trans girl singers whose voices will never drop. Um, ah. And that, it makes me so mad that that's one of the things that's super under attack right now in regards to trans youth is like all of this misinformation around puberty blockers. Like they've been used for over 50 years for all kids, for cis and trans kids. Like it's super safe. It's just pressing pause and giving kids, you know, a chance to think about it. Like if, if I was 10 and someone was like, are you terrified of puberty? 
I would say, yes, ma'am. And they're like, would you like to take something to maybe give you some time? I'd say double yes. Like, <laughs> Yeah, totally. <sighs> Except I think, I think in like hindsight, yes. But I wonder in the moment, I might've been too scared to say yes. Cause I think yeah. it would have like, people would have, and you, I don't even, you know, like, I don't, I didn't want to be read as queer. And I think if I would have said yes to that, I'd be like, well, this is, this is saying that I am. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And that's definitely like me looking through it through the lens I have now. But I just remember like girls in my grade being so obsessed about like getting their period. And I was so terrified. I was like, that is the end. That's, that's the end of the line for me. Um, yeah. And like, didn't tell anyone in my family when I got it, I would like make my own pads and stuff like mm. <laughs> paper towels and scotch tape, which just like breaks my heart. But I was just like so scared and afraid of what was happening to my body. And I was like, this is, this is me. No one else, no one help, please. Like I'm doing this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That I think my, my period and like getting my chest, I was the first one in my whole grade to wear a bra. I was Mm -hmm. like, this is the worst. Um, but like, I, I remember like faking excitement around my period because everyone else was excited. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I want to fit in. So like, I remember like yelling up to my sister, like I got my period and she like literally could not have cared less, (laughs) but like, I was like, all right, so that's okay. That's fine. But like, um, but definitely looking back, like feeling like intense anxiety every month that it came and just feeling so like, I thought a lot of that was because that's what, just what happened when you got your period. And then it's like, no, like, yes, anxiety and depression happens, like, when people are menstruating, but this was, like, a different kind of anxiety, and, like, feeling, like, ashamed and embarrassed and scared to buy tampons, because it's, like, I don't, this shouldn't, I shouldn't be buying these, like, this just doesn't feel right, and, like, do do you know what I mean? I, no, I am totally following, (sighs) I feel you. Yeah. Again, one of those file cabinet moments where I was like, oh, that was extreme gender dysphoria. Like, <laughs> right. In addition to PMS, like I do not right. want to downplay PMS at all. Like, no, no, no. It is awful. But like, yeah. I was so lucky when I started T, my, after my very first shot, my period stopped. It was like my oh. body was just like, gimme, 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 gimme. Let's, let's cancel our subscription. Um, wow. Yeah. Super lucky. That's and, like, really already, lucky. Yeah. And I, I have like a lot of trans dudes comment on my facial hair. They're like, oh, you're so lucky that you grew a beard your first year. And I was like, I was a very hairy girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would get my whole face threaded when I was in high school, mm. which I like cannot describe how painful that is. But I do that every month because I was so mortified of being more different than I already was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, my my period didn't stop until... I think it was, I think it had been like three or four months. And then I told my doctor, I was like, it's not stopping. And like, we'll need to start talking about other ways because like, I need it to stop. And she upped my dose and she's like, see if this helps. And then I think I got it at one more month and then the next month it stopped. And so I've actually, it's only been like two months where I haven't had it, but it's been like the best two months of my life. Yes, oh my Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I haven't. I was just talking to a friend who's about to start tea and I was like, I can tell you some things of what to expect, but it is so just a roll of the dice for everyone. It's yeah. like the only universal truth is like, you'll be very hungry and you will get hair in places you did not know you could get hair. Mm-hmm. Namely, I'm <laughs> yeah. <toes and> ass. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I, I like touched my butt the other day and I was like, Oh, it's yeah. very Go hairy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my belly's getting really hairy and I love it. And uh, I'm starving every second. Yeah. I'm so hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, oh my goodness. But I get so excited when folks get to, you know, do what works for them. And like, also shout out to all the trans people that can't access hormones or don't want to go on hormones. Like you are no less trans because of it. Yeah. Um, And I just get so excited whenever someone takes a step that feels right for their journey um yeah I was yeah yeah for a one number one I love that you you are so intentional about each time we're having a conversation making sure you're uplifting folks 
who like that could potentially be left out of what we're talking mm-hmm. about. So I really appreciate the intentionality behind you doing that. Um, and second, I forget what the second thing was, but I just really appreciate that you did that, <laughs> that, that you're doing that. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, just really- try to be aware of like, I've just been super lucky. And like, I do a lot of talks about being black and trans and like acknowledge that my trans, my black trans femme sisters and siblings have it so much worse than me. And if I could do anything to make the world safer for them, that's pretty much just my life goal. Um, yeah. I mean, when we've created a society that is safe for black trans women, everyone is safe. Yes. Um, exactly. It's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I try to bring that up. I'm an educator and I do, I do teach LGBTQ 101 trainings and like all that good <laughs> stuff. Um, but I am trans, so I feel okay. But um, uh, I talk about that all the time. And, and like, you know, this doesn't only help the LGBTQ community. It liberates us all. And like, here's yeah. how. And um it's people are, you know, and on the one hand are really, I think are really starting to understand. And on the other hand, it's like, where are you? Where have you been? Let's go. Yeah. Let's do this. Exactly. Kind well, of like how you said earlier, you're like, <laughs> okay, so you haven't been listening this whole time. Cool. Yeah, okay. like, welcome aboard. Uh, we're 20 years ahead of you, if not 50. Um, <laughs> right. Halo, there's a great meme. And it's like talking about gender with cis people. And it's someone like building a block tower with a toddler. And it's like talking about gender with another trans person. And it's like, you know, like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like having, you know, having a symposium. (laughs) Yeah. It like one thing that I always think about when I'm trying to argue, like when we've created safer environments for trans people, it's not just for us, not just for us. Um, Like when my band tours, it's in our writer that all the bathrooms have to be gender neutral, like even multi-stalled ones. And like, we played at a church, um, and they were like so nervous and hesitant about it. They're like, we don't know how this is going to work out. Like it's going to be a lot of older folks. And I was like, you just put on the door how many toilets there are and if there's urinals in there. And they were like, okay, oh my gosh, okay. And they like messaged us weeks later. They're like, we just changed all our bathrooms to gender neutral. Like the line is so much shorter now. And I'm like, there <laughs> we go. Everyone benefits. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I I really don't want to end this conversation, but it, time is flying, and I oh, want to. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know. Just um, with a pal. I know, right? I love it. Um, so I am. So that just means I'll have to have you back, which is Perfect. which is great. Um, so I'm going to move us into our lightning round of questions, um, and uh, it's meant to just uh, be fun and answer as quickly as possible. Um, and they were, they used to be either or questions. And then I got called out as them being too binary. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Right. Which is like, so true. So now they are all mostly all open-ended. So, but still try to answer them as quickly as possible. So the first one is if you could name your own crayon, what would it be? I don't know why butthole was the first thing that came to my mind. Beautiful. Oh God. <laughs> that's I amazing. <laughs> saw something that's like, we shouldn't call it bleaching your butthole. We should call it getting a new ringtone. And <gasps> it's just been like clattering around in my brain for days. So I think that's what's prompting it. <laughs> that is incredible. I love it. <sighs> um, favorite time of day. Ooh. Mm, uh, dawn, but I'm rarely up to experience it. Mm. Favorite current queer media representation? I'm going to go with Reese from mm. Vanishing Half. Like yes. that angel baby has my heart always and forever. Yes. A song that makes your heart soar. Ooh, um, my gay banjo, Love to Watch You Go. It's, you know. Love that. I don't know it, but I'll look it up. Um, favorite way to travel? Mmm skateboard always and forever nice favorite quote oh oh god ah um i just forgot (laughs) all of the words in the english (laughs) um oh i have a maya angelou quote right here that i do love 
My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. And the last one is binary only because it's bagels or donuts. <laughs> oh, 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 no. <laughs> I was, when I was a child, if someone asked me my favorite color, I'd start crying because I didn't want the other colors to feel bad. Um, oh, I love that. Tender little nugget. Um, mm-hmm. uh, mm, donuts. I got a sweet tooth. I have a bagel every single morning, but mm. if I could replace it with a donut, I would. All right. Normally, uh, my go-to is bagel, but donuts are good. Donuts are good. Laz, this was so incredible. Thank you so much for spending this hour with me, with us, us us and the listeners. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was delightful. Oh, now I want a donut. (laughs) I do too. And I'm in Texas right now, and there's like a Krispy Kreme, not factory, but like store, so they are fresh. I'm going to need to go do that. Yeah, there's a new Dunkin' Donuts drive through by my house. And I was like, y'all didn't need to do this, but I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Laz, thank you for coming out. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page at Thank You For Coming Out and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story either anonymously or with your name. And you can have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.